Welcome to The Marissa Morrison Show, where you'll discover your inner power to create the life you desire. I'm Marissa, and I began my business as a 19-year-old, single mom, broke, and in college. Today, I run a seven-figure business that teaches entrepreneurs how they can have it all without the frustration and overwhelm. Abundance, peace, joy, and overflowing love are available to you. And I'm here to show you the way to a richer, more vibrant life that radiates into your business, bringing you higher profits and profound fulfillment. You see, when you connect with the miracle that is you, you become an unstoppable force that doesn't need to push for success. Consider this an invitation to step into a new world of possibilities, empowering perspectives, and radical breakthroughs. Buckle up and get ready to see the world around you in an entirely new light. This is your life, and you don't need to wait to experience your dreams. It all starts now. Former celebrity matchmaker for eHarmony, Dr. Christy Kadirian is an internationally renowned relationship expert with extensive professional experience and holds a unique platform in the field of relationships. Dr. Christy lives in her purpose, supporting clients, helping them reach their goals and dreams, and encouraging them along their way to their individual growth. As a dating coach, she works with ambitious, driven women who are disappointed in their love lives and are ready to try a research-backed methodology to find love. They want to find the one, but are sick of the endless cycle of being ghosted or gaslit. Her expertise in the field of international dating and successful relationships is built on her unique ability to streamline the dating process and help you zero in on finding the one for you. She's been featured on ABC, CBS, The Wall Street Journal, Cosmopolitan, and so many more. She's here today to empower you to find love if that's where you are in your journey. And if you're already in a committed relationship, this episode is for you too, as she'll be sharing how you can heal and deepen your romance and intimacy today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Christy. Well, I am so excited to have you with us, Dr. Christy. It is an honor and a privilege to have you in our presence, virtually, of course. Today's topic is going to be a transformational topic, I think, for everyone listening. And I know that you have so much expertise and wisdom to share. So welcome to the show, Dr. Christy. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I couldn't be more excited. I literally feel like I'm going to gain so much just for my own relationship. So this is going to be such gold. I think that everyone is, you know, in these deep relationships. And whenever I think about life, I often reflect on my own life. And I feel like the people that we come in contact with, like, that's the whole gift of life. We're experiencing each other, ourselves in that. And so I know some people may be in relationships and some of them may be looking for love. And I know we're going to talk about both circumstances, but before we dig in, I would love to know a little bit about you and your backstory and what led you into this passion and your career path. Sure. So a little bit about me. I'm born and raised from Los Angeles. What I always like to share with people is that a huge part of my interest in relationships really came from both parts of my identity, my cultural background, I'm Armenian, my faith background as a Christian are both so relationship and community oriented. And so a huge part of just like my own identity and development came as a kind of result and influenced by those important relationships in my life. 
So from an early age, that just made sense to me that like who we are as people is very relational. And then seeing how that plays out in various ways is what I'm like fascinated by and what keeps me doing what I do every day. So in my undergraduate career, I studied marriage and family therapy and did some research and it kind of clicked for me. I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. We're relational beings and our identity, who we are, what makes us tick is impacted as well as that's how we influence and make change around the world. Like that's kind of the central component. And then that work took me into becoming a professional matchmaker for eHarmony being a marriage and family therapist, working with singles, couples, families all around, helping to improve their relationships and helping their relationships really improve their life in other ways. And then that led me to where my company is today. And we just really help singles specifically kind of bridge that gap between the inner work and the outer work. Like, how do I make sure I'm ready for a relationship? I'm emotionally available as well as how do I take those steps, aligned action towards meeting that right person. And then a lot of our individual work with clients, we work with some of our success clients and other clients has to do with, okay, how do we now make sure our relationship is really healthy and that we're able to allow ourselves to be that vessel for love to be created and formed within our couple relationship and our family unit. That's incredible. (laughs) I think you know, when I reflect on my own life, I think it's so clear to see those stepping stones that have led me here. And I think it's the same for you. Like you are so beautifully following your purpose and your heart. And I think it's so important to acknowledge that because when we do, we're able to help other people. And I think a lot of times people have that, you know, maybe imposter syndrome or like they're not good enough and really hesitate to follow But I think it's just a beautiful moment to acknowledge like how many people you're able to help by following your purpose. And so so much. (laughs) You're always so sweet and encouraging. But yeah, I think that that really at the heart of it is what I think most I encourage, you know, everybody as coaches, we encourage them to really figure out, okay, like what makes sense for you in your life and purpose and then allowing you to be the vessel for that just to flow through to other people too, as imperfect as it may be. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. And like you said, it is, it's as much about that inner work as it is the outer work. And so I'd love Mm -hmm. to dig into this. And I want to talk about two groups of people today. I think, you know, we're going to be speaking to those seeking to find love, to find the one, and those that are also already committed to relationships, seeking to heal maybe their relationship or deepen their relationship and connection. And so let's start first with those that are seeking love. What are some of the biggest struggles you see with couples today in today's society? Because, you know, like growing up, it was different. I know when I was younger, my siblings that were older or even just hearing what my parents shared, you know, like times have changed. And so what are some of those biggest struggles that they're finding when they're going out to find the one? Yeah. So what's really important to pay attention to and a big part of, you know, my work is always kind of backing up with research. So I think a lot of singles we see today have a lot of kind of internalized shame around like, why haven't I been able to find the right person? Or that they're like afraid of relationships because of what they've experienced. But statistically, what we know is that people are getting married later than ever in history. And there's a variety of reasons that I could probably do a whole other podcast as to why that is. But the first thing I really tell singles is to let go and practice letting go of other people's expectations for your life. So it's like, we feel like there's often a timeline. Okay, we need to get 
married by this age, have the like nuclear family at this age, and then all of these things kind of have to play out. So one positive effect I see of that is that people are carving their own way, and that's so beautiful. So they're creating kind of a full and vibrant life, but even before they find the right person. Um, but what I always encourage as well is to really take that inner inventory and figure out, okay, what do I really want in a future relationship? How can I create that, whatever that is in my own life right now? So if it's like, you want partnership, community, how can I build that even beforehand so that when you do meet the right person, it's adding to a full life rather than I don't have this thing that scares me mentality and I need this in order to feel this way. So I'm always encouraging people to kind of build the life and then have that partner come join them in the journey rather than it feeling like I'm just waiting over here on the sidelines. And then when I'm married, I'm going to get in the game because, you know, you and I both know as being married, like so much of that development and work ahead, like when I was single and so much of what I did, I'm so grateful for that because that really impacts and changes the game, transforms the type of relationship you create. What I always say is soulmates aren't found, they're created. So it's like your work right now, what you're doing is going to help create the type of relationship you want. Someone's not just going to bring that to you and like, here you go. It's like we have to co-create that dynamic. So your part in that is helping you become the partner that you want to be. And then the second thing I say is really figure out if there's something that you're afraid of. A huge thing that especially impacts women that I work with is that fear of success when it comes to relationships. So there's always that kind of shadow side. You think that, oh, I really, really want a relationship and I'm doing everything I can, but there might be part of you that really is afraid of a relationship. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to lose your freedom. Maybe you're afraid that you know you had some experience in your life when you had career success and someone was intimidated by that. So you think it's just easier to be alone. So what I really encourage singles to focus on is combating that lie that you have to be alone in order to have the successful career and you can't be in partnership. That hyper-independence verbiage that I hear kind of everywhere, like, I don't need anybody, um, I really push back against because I do believe we're relational. So sometimes people get a little bit too independent and think, well, you know, I'm just going to be my own everything. And that's not the reality. We all need people and connection, whatever that looks like for you. So really notice what am I afraid of and and how can I combat that fear by saying, you know, that's not always the case. And look at some expander couples around and say, no, you know, these people made that work and they're successful. There's a boss, boss babe woman that has a supportive husband, you know, whatever those are for you so that you can help to shift that mindset. I love that. That's so powerful. I think even relating it back to manifestation, I think everything that you've said is absolutely that become the match, be the yeah. match. You know, it's like you may want this man that is a strong provider, full of charisma and gentle and warm hearted, slow to anger. Maybe, you know, this list of things us women can come up with, of course. But it's like, are we also being slow to anger? Are we full of that charisma? Like, are we the match? And I think it's so empowering to think that way and to give yourself permission to rise to that call. And mm -hmm. so when people come to you, because in, in my mind, okay, I don't do this as a career. So, you know, I'm just kind of speaking from my own thoughts. But in my mind, there's probably people who are maybe a little more on the eager side, like they're really hungry for it. And so they're dating a lot. And then there's those kind of like what you said, like, you know, 
I'm Miss Independent. I'm doing my thing. I don't need a man, like that kind of thing. But they also are like, okay, I think I'm I'm starting to feel like it's time, like I'm ready. And so they're like transitioning from that. And so in those two groups of people who are like dating a lot, but then also have not dated a long time or maybe have, but like are starting to date. And maybe there's a third or fourth group that I'm not thinking about, but what are some of their biggest complaints when they come to you and they're like, okay, Chrissy, I'm ready. Great question. So basically the number one thing I hear from most people is that there's no quality people out there. Like I want to find the right person. I want to, you know, I've tried the apps. There's nobody good out there. And so as you being the mindset and manifestation expert, obviously that is not true. I always tell clients, if there's someone like you out there, then there's someone that could be a match for you out there as well. If you're trying the apps and you're an amazing catch, like probably someone else is trying the apps and it's also an amazing catch. So I think that scarcity mentality runs so rampant. And what I really encourage, especially obviously people listening to this, you're somewhat self-aware, you're trying to work on yourself to really focus on instead of the blog, focus on what's opportunity here. So maybe it's more about viewing dating as a skill that I need to learn and get better at, of the dating app as a tool that I need to figure out how to use correctly and saying, you know what, maybe I don't know best. Maybe I need to work with someone or learn something or take a course to figure out what about the process am I doing wrong so that I don't internalize it often. And we know from a research perspective, especially for women, we often will internalize things. So it's like, oh, I don't find any quality matches. Oh, it must be me. Like I must not be pretty enough, skinny enough, smart enough, whatever. And so you really have to work hard to block that thought from coming in because the reality is it's not true. It's probably just more in the strategy that's coming up. And at the same time, working on understanding, okay, where in my life do I feel like I'm not enough? And do I believe that I'm not enough just internally? And how can I work on that thinking as well? So that really is kind of the starting place that most people will come from that scarcity. Like there's nobody out there or nobody good out there or whatever nobody's perfect. No relationship is perfect, but you really have to kind of be willing to explore and be in that process rather than just show up and get the you know happy ending like we see in the movies and recognize the process as being beautiful as well. That is beautiful. It sounds like it's, you know, really about discovering yourself. Totally. Healing, yeah. Healing from the past. Yeah. And another thing I often say too, if people come to me with just like, a laundry list and working and matchmaking. I would get this all the time, you know, like a whole scroll of all the things you're looking for oh, yeah. in a partner. And it's almost like this like negotiation, like, no, I can't have this, but we want this. Like, you know, we'll give you this if you give <laughs> us this. And what I always, you know, work with clients on is really embodying the truth that love is a lot about giving. It's not about what can I get. And when we come with the get, like, okay, well, I'm going to get this and this and this from that person, it becomes more transactional and not transformational. We're really looking for love to transform us. And so you're not really setting yourself up for a healthy relationship if you come with this whole list of like, they have to be all of those things. Because one thing is that I guarantee you, even if they show up with all the boxes checked, they are going to be different in marriage, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, you don't know what the future looks like. 
I love Esther Perel. She's like one of my icons in the marriage and family therapy field. But she says, you know, you're going to have multiple marriages one way or another. Most some people are going to marry different actual people. And some people are going to stay married to the same people, but they're going to be different all throughout. So you have to be really open to the growth and change of yourself as well as your partner. We're looking for more intangible things about a person and less like, okay, they check all these boxes, but what if they don't next week? Like, are they still not going to be a good partner? So you have to look into both the dating process and actually creating the love you desire from that. Okay, how can I give? I feel like that is probably one of the number one least talked about things in Hollywood. (laughs) Totally. Not popular. (laughs) Like, yeah, we want to have this happily ever after, but it's so true. We're all evolving. And each and every single day, I love to say, like, we're at a different point of consciousness. You know, each day you have a new experience, you evolve from that. And you pick up the wisdom along the way and, you know, you just evolve each and every single one of us. And especially as you know, in my own journey with my husband who had a traumatic brain injury, he is a different person. And, you know, I reflect back to when we first got together, I'm a different person. Mm-hmm. I've evolved. And I think it is so true. Like if you're going to find the one, you've got to be ready to embrace that evolution. It's not about the happily ever after. It's the life you create together. I always think about, I'm always telling Devin, like, you know, the old couple who are still together and they can look back on their life and they're like, you know, we made it through all of that. Everything that we went through, you know, like we did it. It's not about the rainbows and sunshine as much as it is about the darkness. I think you gain more wisdom, you know, in that time and growth and having to meet in the middle and the valleys are just as beautiful as the mountaintops. Well, you've spoken a lot about internal shifts. Are there any other internal or external shifts that women need to make in order to find the one? A huge part of the work that we do as well kind of is informed from my background as a therapist. And that's really looking at your own upbringing, your own childhood, the main kind of relationship that impacted you, whether that's your parents, your caregivers, grandparents, whatever that is, and how that influences what you're looking for in a partner, your relationship today, um, your attachment style. So really having that awareness is so powerful. Every time we work with clients on that, they're just like mind blown because whether you feel like your parents had an amazing relationship and you want to emulate it, or you feel like they were really dysfunctional and you don't want to have that type of relationship, there are threads that impact how you view a potential partner today. And so it's so important to have that awareness and say, you know, I really felt like my parents only were together because of, um, you know, commitment or because of similar values and they had no chemistry or spark. I can use this example from a client we had. And so what she ended up noticing in herself is that because her parents were just together for duty, she swung the opposite way. So she was only looking for chemistry and having these short-term relationships that didn't have more of those traditional things that keep people together. And so when we looked into that, she realized light bulb moment, like, okay, I don't need to swing all the way to the opposite of what they had. I just need something in between. Like I actually do want someone who has similar outlook on life values, you know, way of looking at the world, the commitment that her parents had to stick together. And she also wants some chemistry in between. So oftentimes we're either trying to create a completely different relationship than them 
or trying to create the exact same relationship as our parents without looking at some of the nuances. Like maybe they had a great marriage, but there are some things that you want to do differently and you're marrying a different person. So those are things you also have to look at. So I think people don't realize how much of an impact that really has on us and not to, you know, your parents were all doing the best that they could with the resources they had. So no one's all bad or all good. We kind of have to see some of the gray area to learn and then make those shifts and realize, oh, this is why I'm really attracted to this person. And you might still still be only attracted to a certain type of person, but at least you're going in with that tool, that resource to be able to have that awareness. So your subconscious isn't running the show. Yeah, because that's how you get in trouble. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's say that a woman has done this inner work. She's been preparing to be the match. What would be the next step? How does she go out and meet the man? Does he just show up? Or like, what do you normally suggest for your clients in that state? That like, okay, I'm ready. What what comes next? Yeah. So I usually recommend people to start even before they feel like they're ready. Because sometimes I think that feeling ready is an elusive thing. Like, what does that actually feel like? We're never fully actualized in any way. We're always growing. So what I recommend is having support while you're going through the dating process always. So if you're coming out of a relationship, you're new to dating, what I usually recommend is just like having a supportive environment, whether that's going to therapy, being part of a program, something where you can kind of reality check with experts and say, is this some of my like trauma going on? Or is this really a red flag? Those sorts of questions. Dating with support is so much better than just like working on yourself for so long and keeping yourself from experiencing love. I believe a lot of the healing actually happens in context of a relationship. So one of my favorite quotes by Ram Dass is, you know, if you think you're enlightened, go down and spend a week with your family. So it's like, you know, yeah. we can all be comfortable. You know, I love when people come into my program and they're like, oh, I'm securely attached. And then they start dating and they're like, all the anxiety, <laughs> all the avoidance all of a sudden comes up because it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm doing the work, but you're actually kind of in a cocoon and not putting yourself out there and growing and you know, it's painful at times, but if you have that support, that's what can help you through the process. So that's really the first step. And then when you feel like, okay, I have support, I have some tools, I'm not just operating in a trauma or like in the subconscious, then you really have to think about your strategy. And success in relationships, like anything else, has a strategy. And that's something I love to say to people that are like, wait, what? I thought you just, you know, show up and it's perfect, but you really have to have a strategy around what's important to you, the type of person, and where to find them. I think people kind of think that they either think that they're going to have, you know, the Amazon Prime delivery guy just like deliver the person to their door when they're ready. And I think there's a way to go about having the right strategy in an aligned way once you are really healed and you're not doing it from a scarcity mindset and you're doing that work and you can have that awareness. But you do need a strategy when it comes to dating so you can implement and attract the right person. So I really recommend kind of then shifting and saying, okay, who do I want to find? Where do those people hang out? And how do I make sure that I'm being my full and true self when I'm connecting with people? And those are all things that you you can learn. There's books about them, there's programs, but really making sure that you're doing the steps and you're not just sitting in like inaction and wanting the right person to be delivered to your doorstep. So good. So let's talk a little bit about the energy of women 
in the early stages of the relationship, like you said, they can be so solid. And then all of a sudden it's like, what is happening? You know, all these emotions that come up. And I think especially when you're ready to find the one and you're meeting them, there's that like eagerness, you know, I know for me, I personally can identify, I would totally be the one checking my phone, <laughs> like they're going to text me back, you know, like all of that. And I think, again, this is like modern, modern dating. Our parents didn't <laughs> really have this per se. And so if they are eagerly waiting for a call or text, what's the best way a woman can handle the waiting game? What in essence makes them irresistible to a man? I work from an attachment standpoint around this. So generally people are somewhere on a spectrum between anxiety, anxious attachment, and avoidant. Sometimes you kind of oscillate between the two and we call that disorganized. So if you tend to be that checker, are they going to text me back? Are they going to call me back? What I really recommend doing is before you're in that committed relationship, staying open to other options so you're not kind of like writing your first name with their last name after first date, which those of us who are more anxiously attached <laughs> tend to want to do. We're like, okay, we like this person. Let's just commit. People who are anxiously attached really want that connection. They want to feel intimate. They want that closeness. And sometimes we can artificially create that early on because we don't want to think that someone's not the right person or that we like somebody and it might not work out. So we kind of like, you know, try to talk to them as much as possible. We try to create that intimacy that just can't be created until you have that time and that ability to know someone's character and really connect to them in a deep way and same for them to know you. So I always recommend our anxious attachers to stay open, keep swiping, even if you don't connect with anybody because you really like this person. Just that energy can send messages to that so many clients be in relationships because they just kind of kept their energy in a space where they don't need that person because there's so many options out there. And if that person is not the right one, there will be the right one for you later on. So just kind of keeping an open energy about that, almost distracting yourself also helps you not to self-sabotage a connection because you want that intimacy so quickly. And then if you tend to be more avoidantly attached, so you're like, okay, everyone's a left swipe, everyone's a red flag, like next, next, next. Then what you want to do is really focus on, okay, how can I just take the next step? So maybe if you're swiping left on anybody, how can I just say, maybe this person could have some redeeming qualities. So I'll give it a message. I'll see if I can message them. Okay, maybe this person, the messenger aren't going terribly. Maybe I'll give them a date or a FaceTime. Just allow your capacity for connection to increase. And that's going to help you be more a lot more comfortable with connection rather than where your comfort zone is, which is autonomy and independence. I love that. I think that really goes into my next question, which I feel like in a way you've answered. I think that the, again, this is my own thought, but the anxious attachment, they most likely are going to settle for someone that is not at the standard of what they actually deserve. Whereas on the other side, they're raising the bar so high and they are like, no one is good enough. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it comes from the same type of insecurity that we have. It just is demonstrated in different ways. So you might feel like, oh, okay, I'm actually pushing everybody away because I don't really think that once someone really gets to know me, they're going to love me. And the anxious person is like, okay, I want to make sure that they love me. So, you know, give me the connection. Let me make sure that they're there and let me be who they want me to be. So we just really want to focus on 
working on that root of insecurity and worthiness and knowing, you know what, I'm worthy of this like secure, committed love. And I don't need to oscillate one way or another to try to get that. And that starts, you know, early on in childhood, we mirror whatever we didn't get from that parent in our adult relationships. So you weren't sure if your parents were available, you were trying to be the perfect kid and and do everything right to try to get their availability and that connection with them. And then if on the opposite end, sometimes if your parents were a little bit too needy and like in everything, you're like kind of pulling away because that's too much. Like, but maybe I can't meet their expectation or whatever that is. And so it's really noticing being aware of those patterns and then how they're playing out now. This is so interesting. I think it really relates back to what I love to talk about a lot, which is waking up to your life just being awake to it and not living by the program. And so it's so beautiful to see how that is just as deeply rooted in finding love. So for these wonderful single ladies looking for the one, as we're transitioning into our couples, what would be your greatest advice to the single gals out there listening and they're ready for love? The number one thing I would say is to create a community or find a community where you can get that support. Dating can be really lonely, especially if you have all your married friends or your supportive community is actually not that supportive because they're just bashing men or the dating process or whatever it is. So find a positive community where you can really get that validation and connection that you feel maybe like starved for in some way so that you have that network build when you find your partner, it's not going to be all dependent on them to meet those relational needs for you. I think we put so much expectation and this isn't anyone's fault. I think society just sets us up to put so much pressure on that intimate, you know, partner. They're supposed to be your soulmate, your business partner, your, you know, child care friend, your everything. And I think that really erodes relationships, you know, we can talk more about. Whereas for decades in history, we had such a more of a communal village approach. Like we had our spouse or our partner and then we got connection so many other ways. And so I think if you build that, then your expectation and your relationship is really going to flourish because you're not putting so much pressure on yourself to find the person and on the person when they come into your life. Yeah, let's dig into that more. I am so interested (laughs) to talk more about that. So let's talk about committed relationships. For those that are listening and are committed, if they are seeking to deepen their connection and bring vibrancy into the romance because, you know, maybe they are feeling like things have been stagnant for a while, what would you recommend in that situation? The first thing I recommend is always turning the mirror inward. So more often than not in couples therapy, people will come in or people will reach out and be like, my husband won't go to therapy. My partner won't go to therapy. Like I want to do couples therapy, but they won't go. Like, what do I do? And so the most unpopular thing that I always say is, why don't you come in on your own? And people think, well, how is that going to change anything? He's doing X, Y, Z. He's not doing X, Y, Z and come in with the list. You have so much power in the relationship dynamic relationships are co-created. It's always a dynamic. So if you're focusing and working on yourself, it's going to create so much change in that dynamic with your partner. And I'll make a caveat that this does not apply to abusive relationships. But if you do go to therapy individually, you can also assess like, is this the type of relationship that we can work through certain things? 
And so if they are in a place of wanting more romance, do you think it's as simple as adding in date nights in addition to this, you know, going in on your own to do that deep inner work as well? Yeah, I think quality time together. And if we remove a lot of the things that really like affect and hurt relationships, the criticism, you know, there's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse that the Gottman that they talk about kind of this research around. These are the things that kill relationships criticism, contempt. If you work on those things internally on your own, so you're not showing up on the date night and like, okay, well, now I'm going to nag so-and-so about all these things instead of really enjoying that quality time together, that's going to really make a huge difference. So if you're able to kind of work on those things, and then when you do have the quality time, you can think of it as like you're putting money into the bank for your relationship. So it's like, okay, when we have these positive moments together, This is putting like a few dollars in that bank and that storehouse that we can then pull on when we're having a hard time because we have this foundation of like these positive memories, these good times, these times where we can really connect with putting all that stuff aside, then that's really going to help improve your relationship. So one surprising statistic I always share with couples and they're like, oh my gosh, this can either feel really hopeless or it can feel hopeful is 70% of the problems that you fight about will not be solved. (laughs) So (laughs) it's not that you're going to, you know, solve all of the issues in your relationship. It's more about, okay, we have some things we struggle with. How can we connect in spite of those things or even through those things? Yeah, that's so good. I can speak from my own experience. I feel like I remember one time I was just trying to express something to Devin and I wanted so badly to be understood. And, you know, we start to speak a lot. And I realized in that moment, you know, like in this specific situation, actually, I'm the only one that needs to understand this. Like, it's okay if I'm the only one. And I feel like that goes back to that inner work of like being whole within yourself and like acknowledging yourself, giving yourself the love and attention you need. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it, you know, definitely is important to have it from your partner. But at the same time, there's those things. It's like, is it worth the argument? Like does this really matter to me that much? And just really, it's like you said, they're going to change. They're going to evolve. So having that deep inner connection with yourself, I think is so key. And one thing I feel, I actually recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago. It was about bringing more adventure to your life. I know a lot of people, we have these patterns we follow and it's like the day to day, you know, and it's like after so long, especially as adults, Dr. Joe Dispenza says by the age of 35, it's pretty hard to shift, but we can, we're always, you know, we're always malleable and we can always evolve. But I think that like in a relationship and specifically when you're wanting to bring more adventure into your life, I always say your life is a reflection of how imaginative you are in correlation with how much permission you give yourself. And so do you feel like in relationships, that sense of adventure or just like breaking the pattern, like different experiences are important for couples? So important. There was actually research done about like attraction and it was connected to like correlation. So they had these two strangers be on this really high bridge and they had them look at each other in the eye and like hold each other's hands. And then they rated like, how attracted were you to this person before that happened? And then when you felt the adrenaline, all those emotions, how attracted were you to that person after? And the results were so fascinating. They were obviously so attracted to someone like they didn't even know because they were in this like adrenaline and 
feeling adventure, feeling together. And I think from a neurological standpoint, our brains really crave novelty. And I think also, you know, post-COVID world, like so many of us did not really get to experience novelty in various ways. And that had really huge impacts on our relationships. But I always say it's like a great way to like talk through any argument or whatever with your partner is when you're on a walk. And the reason for that is you're not facing each other. So it's like when you're facing each other, it's like us versus them, right? But when you're in a partnership, it's like we're a team, right? So we're, this is both of us, we're facing something else. We're facing the problem or just walking or doing something together. And it just takes so much of that kind of angst and tension out of the dynamic. Like you're doing this, you're doing that, the shots are fired. And it's more like, okay, we're walking together and maybe we're talking about something, but we're not just focusing on the other person's faults or what they're doing wrong or attacking them. You know, we're on the same team is what my husband, I always say to each other, if we're in an argument or we're like same team, same team. Um, <laughs> so it's like doing your partner is that like, okay, they're my teammate and we're going towards this life or goal or whatever we have together with leading our family rather than they're the reason that I can't have this, this, and this because they're not doing this. It can totally transform your marriage. The relationship. Yeah. I love that team perspective. It's so true. I think, you know, what I'm leading to next is about communication. And I think when we're, you know, in these deep relationships and we're communicating, it can absolutely feel like this is my side, this is your side. But I think you're so right. It's so important to remember that we're on the same side and coming to that common ground. But I think it takes openness. So That leads me to my next topic here. I would love to know your thoughts on. So let's say that there's, you know, obviously two people in this partnership and one person is communicating openly and freely. So they're sharing their feelings, hearts on the sleeve, even whenever perhaps like they're sharing things that they want the other person to work on, they're trying to be kind and loving, but the other person pretty much shuts down. And in this, because they're not sharing their needs and their desires, The other person is not getting the chance to actually meet those desires. They're not aware that they're needing to be met. And so one person is frustrated because they think it should be obvious or maybe they're wanting to fulfill these desires, but they're not sharing it. And the other person is completely open and may not even be aware of this resentment. And I know over time, this can create even more separation. So how do they move forward from here when one is so open and one may be closed and start to shut down? Great question. So what I always say to couples caught in this dynamic is that safety is different for each person. So for you, for one person, they might feel like, okay, why can't we just verbally communicate how we're feeling? And that could help create safety because we're saying what we feel and they're saying what they feel. But for someone that maybe doesn't have as much of what I call emotional literacy, so not really able to be aware of what they're really feeling or how to articulate it, then that sort of setting does not feel safe for them. So what we want to really focus on understanding and learning about our partner is how do they feel safe? And that might be completely the opposite way that you feel safe. So it kind of goes into the love languages uh, discussions, just like how do they experience love? And an easy way to do this is through the quiz. I can send you a, a link to it for your listeners, but you could just be like, hey, this would be fun. Let's take a quiz. And then you can learn maybe the way that your partner really experiences love is through 
acts of service or gifts or quality time. And then again, we're depositing into that bank where maybe if we feel like we're the one that is very emotionally literate, we're able to identify our feelings and express them and all these things, then obviously maybe you're a words of affirmation person and words is really where you feel safe and you're able to connect with people. And maybe he's not like that, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get those needs met. Just have to figure out in the meantime, while you're learning his language and hopefully he will learn yours, where else can you really get that support and feel heard? And really when we're trying to get something from our partner, we're really looking to give that to ourselves as well. So easy way to do that right off the bat. You know, you can, I'm definitely a verbal processor. So I leave myself like voice notes or I just start like writing, like how I'm feeling And automatically at that point, I just feel kind of a release of like, okay, I've kind of gotten it all out there. So I feel a lot more regulated. And then I can see, okay, obviously I would like my partner to meet my need in XYZ way. But right now, if they're not really able to do that, or we've tried to have these conversations so many times and they just don't listen or whatever, then we have to start pouring into the bank that they feel safe in. And once we build that safety in the way that they understand it, then it's going to be safer for you to express how you're feeling too. Because if you're getting all vulnerable and all of these things, and then it's also eroding your trust in that your partner can hold how you're feeling, and that's not helping the relationship either. So in the meantime, really being able to figure out, okay, where can I get this support? while we're working on this and it's baby steps. So if someone's listening and they're wanting to move in this direction, let's say there's an important conversation that they're wanting to have and not feeling like it's making any progress, would you then say pause on that so that you can create the safety first? In other words, like Mm -hmm. have a lot of self-awareness, be very patient and just wait for the right timing. How do you know when it's the right time? Yeah, I think if you notice that they're starting to emotionally connect and like verbally process things with you, then that's a sign that they're starting to be able to shift and feel more safe in connecting in that way. So it might be because of their own stuff, you know, early stuff, childhood things that anytime there was a conversation in their family, it was like, oh my goodness, it was a huge deal. Like nobody talks about anything, no emotion. So this must be something catastrophic is going to happen. So they're naturally avoiding any conversation because they the whole time they're in like a survival, fight or flight. What if we, you know, end things or whatever that is for them. So they're not really able to regulate or what we call kind of come down from the red zone. When you're in the red zone, you're just really into more like kind of that mammal like mammal instinct, and you're not able to logically think, which we as humans, that's what separates us from other mammals, right? So they're in that zone. We just can't talk with them. So same thing if like partner gets angry, if they're in that red zone, they're not able to talk. So that's not the time to say really anything because we can't verbally communicate, logically process anything. So has to be in a place that there's more safety. And if you feel like you need like an outside support for that, couples therapy is a great place for that because the therapist can really help to regulate those things. So then, like I said, it's not like you're against each other. It's like, okay, we're both kind of feeding this information to the therapists and they're helping to translate and process the dynamics as you're expressing them. So you feel heard and then they can help your partner also feel heard and hear you. I love that. And I think this is so important just as we're going back to people change, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm imagining that maybe their love language changes. Do you think that is a thing or? That could definitely change. And I think it's hard sometimes in certain marriages, um, but if you do have that 
you know, commitment, I think it's important to really meet someone where they're at and not have the expectations that sometimes people come into marriage with. Like I mentioned before, it's like, well, you know, ideally, yes, your partner can connect with you in every single way. The reality is that capacities change. People have different physical capacities, emotional capacity. There's different blocks for different reasons. And we keep kind of banging your head against the wall. It's actually having kind of like this other effect. But that doesn't mean that your needs aren't important or shouldn't be met. It just means that maybe we can't give them to your partner right now or yet because of whatever they're going through. And maybe with some needs, you know, this might feel controversial, but they might never be met by your partner. And But that doesn't mean that you should be just on your own and suffering and whatever. It just means like, okay, how can I meet this in a different way with other supportive people and community? Yeah, I think expectations are so, they can be healthy, of course, but also so crippling. I think, you know, yeah. when we place these expectations on how people should be or the way that they should respond to us, it's like we're like keeping them in this bondage or this box and we're not able to see the whole person. It's like, what are they going through? Like, how can I connect with them on a deeper level to meet, like you said, meet them where they are emotionally? Because I think in relationships, it's so easy to get offended or how could they treat me this way? And oftentimes I feel like it's actually more about them. Like when they're showing up that way, it's more about what they're going through than maybe what you may be experiencing. And then in the same way, simultaneously, maybe you're offended because of that childhood wound. You know, you're getting triggered in the same. And so both of you are hurting and really wanting again to be on the same team. And so I think that, like you said, that awareness is so key. Mm -hmm. So true. And I think something that I always like to kind of use this analogy with couples, like let's say your partner had like a physical disability, like they just literally couldn't hold like something for whatever reason. Would you just like throw on, you know, everything, <laughs> like a huge, you know, all your clothes here and like sort it, but they physically just cannot hold it. It's like the same thing emotionally, but it's just hard for us to see. So, so often our partners or ourselves, we don't have the emotional capacity to hold everything or hold anything that our partner gives us. And so we really have to kind of shift that thinking and be like, okay, they're really not able to hold this. And ideally they can come to a place where they can verbally express that like, yeah, this isn't a, you know, a good time for me. Brene Brown talks about this, like her and her husband do like a rating scale at the end of the day. They're like, I'm at a two today. I'm spent. I cannot, like, if you have things going on, like call your friends, call your people. Like I cannot, I'm not there today. And then, you know, vice versa. But oftentimes people, you know, think that that relationship has to be like, okay, they have to always be on and hold all my stuff and whatever. And it goes back to that expectation of like, okay, I've noticed maybe they don't really have the emotional capacity because every time I try to have this conversation, they just shut down. So we have to kind of translate that, you know, seeing your partner, this is also a really good exercise as like a little kid, like they're, you know, they're five-year-old, their inner child. Like, would I be like dumping <laughs> all my emotional stress on them? No. Like, so, but do I need to carry all that? No. Cause I also want partnership and community and support. So it's like, how can we lighten the load? And, you know, you'd give your kid like a little task, but also feels great and you're proud of them, but it's, it's like a, a different way to look at it. A lot of people think like, oh, well, then you shouldn't be in a relationship with that person and whatever, but that's just not the reality. And so many people are like really kind of hide and are in shame about that. But 
what I really want to kind of help them become more empowered with is like, we're all like that in different ways. It's just about understanding like where your partner's at. That's going to really help you too. You're not codependent. You're not doing everything for them, but that's really going to help you feel less ashamed of like your emotions because you might have been feeling like, man, I just have way too many feelings for anybody to hold. And you might be internalizing that when the reality is like, they just haven't built that inner resource to be able to do that for you. But like you said, it's like, if we just focus on, oh, they can't you know, do this, then we're missing out everything that they are bringing to your relationship or to you. And maybe you're in a season where that doesn't feel like the case, but maybe it has in the past and you can work through this difficult season and I think it's Michelle Obama that says that like sometimes I'm 100% and they're like 20%. It's not always this like 50-50 transaction. And I think that's really true of relationships. So it's like how do we, when we're not getting everything we want, how do we shift that view from being like, I'm not in this because it's a transaction and they need to be giving me this and, and that sort of thing to like, okay, how can I shift to like giving and also giving myself the support and figuring out where to get that rather than knocking on a door that's pretty locked shut. Yeah. I think it reminds me also, in addition to just like the law of attraction, it's like the more that you think about how awful they are, the more that you're going to act frustrated and complain and nag and, you know, all the things that us women can be, you know, coined as, unfortunately. Um, True. Unfairly, I believe. But, you know, I think because, you know, we're always coming from a good place. And that's true as men, too. I think everyone's doing their best. And I think in the same sense, when you're focusing on whatever, they made coffee for me today. Maybe they Mm -hmm. brought the kids to school. Maybe they made the bed. I don't know. Like maybe they did the laundry. Maybe they just acknowledged Mm -hmm. your haircut. Like just bringing more (laughs) attention to like those things, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you just start to see it and appreciate them more. It brings me back also to Brendan Bouchard. He was talking a while back about relationships and he's like, just try to marvel at them a little more. I thought that was so beautiful because mm-hmm. we're all, you know, beautiful miracles, I believe, you know, like soul wrapped in flesh, like we exist, we're here. Like, I never want to forget how magical that is. And it's true for our partners too. And just to to marvel at ourselves as much as we do them. So, so true. That appreciation goes such a long way. And all to say is like, when I say like, okay, they're not able to meet your needs and let's like ship that. Oftentimes women just stop there. They're like, oh, my husband can't do it or isn't able, doesn't have the capacity. So I have to do it. Like I'm going to take it all. And that's where women get caught very frequently as well. Just like being the, I do everything and super women and these unrealistic expectations. And what I encourage women to do is not do that, like shift it to, okay, where else can I get support? And I'm not weak for wanting support or getting my needs met in other ways from friends, from family, community, whatever that is, therapy. But don't just like stop there and be like, oh, they can't. So I'm just going to bottle it up because that's where, like you said, all that like, you know, resentment, anger, naggy, all the like negative stereotypes that women come through because you can't hold it all. So it's going to come out passive aggressively and it's going to erode your relationship. So true. Let's talk about sex. So how, <laughs> so, okay. So is sex important? I think we all say yes, but I want to hear from you how important it is. <laughs> and is there a healthy amount that couples should aim for in their relationships? 
Yeah. So sex is definitely an important way to connect. And oftentimes kind of segue what I was saying before. So many times that's a huge place where men feel safe and feel heard. And oftentimes when, especially if there's that like lack of safety, they're able to kind of express themselves more without the words through that type of intimacy, whereas women tend to be a lot more verbal, more emotionally intimate. And all types of intimacy are so important to develop physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual. Ideally, they're kind of all growing together at the same time. That's not always the case. But I would say really focusing on there's not one right number or amount of time or whatever, like you should be following like a rule book. But I think what is important, especially if you have a family, if you have kids, you all have responsibilities, is carving out time that you can connect. And then if that leads to physical intimacy, sometimes if it's emotional intimacy, sometimes whatever, you're creating that sacred space for each other. A lot of people ask me, like, should we be planning sex? Like, maybe that's right for you. Maybe that's like, I would never do that in my lifetime. But what you should be planning is that sacred time just for you two as a couple's unit. Because another huge dynamic that often happens if you have a family is your kids start getting parentified. And so that hierarchy of like where the parents, where the kids doesn't exist as much because it's like, okay, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? And then it's it's very messy. So the best thing you can do for your family, for your kids is to have that sacred like you know, time with your partner. And then ideally, like that will create intimacy in other ways too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that also flexibility in this, like the spontaneity of it, you know, I think like if you're in the middle of doing work and your spouse or partner comes to you and they're like, you know, showing these signs of wanting to get intimate, you know, it's like being willing to switch gears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important and so underrated. Like we're booked like back to back and we have no like free space to just connect, to not feel that. And I think the number one thing that gets in the way of sex and physical intimacy in relationships is stress. (laughs) So it's like if you're stressed, if you're not present, you're like it's you're not going to have good sex. So I think so often like couples are like, okay, back, back, back. And that's where the kind of scheduling that (laughs) time (laughs) often is a little bit controversial because it's like, it doesn't work like that. We're not just like penciling in our partner. Like, okay, I have a 515 available. Let's just like make it happen. We have to feel safe. That's when we have good sex. When we feel safe, we feel connected. We feel like emotionally heard. So we have to build that time to create all of that. That's the real foreplay, essentially. And then from that place, we're able to like make that more of a you know regular part of our life. If you're not having enough or you feel like you're not connected in that way, it's because we're not carving out the other time to connect. So those moments don't happen. Obviously, if we're not feeling like that, oh, I miss my partner or sending that cute text in the middle of the day or whatever that is. So that built-in time is so, so important. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to couples and parenting, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. What recommendations would you have just as a broad topic? Because I think it's so important to touch on. I think, you know, I have teenager kids. And so I'm here to tell you, it definitely comes in different varieties. And, you know, I think growing up, the husband was the leader and, you know, the wife is to support the husband. Do you have any recommendations in order to keep couples thriving through the season of parenting? Yeah, such a great question. 
I would say my number one tip for that is to really separate like, okay, is this a co-parenting conversation or is this like a partner conversation? Because sometimes what ends up happening is as parents, you kind of fall into this routine where it feels like we're just co-parent managing the household. All our conversations are like, are you picking up this kid? Okay. Like we're kind of like putting out fires like all the time. And that like really heals intimacy in so many ways. So if you're feeling like disconnected, I would say kind of having that, if you can't carve out that time, like giving a little, even like a little disclaimer before you make a phone call to your partner to like talk about something like, okay, this is a parenting thing, X, Y, Z, and then like shifting gears. So how was your day and whatever. So it can kind of feel like you're not like, okay, this is like my co-manager over this operation. I feel like they're not picking up the slack and I am because then that seeps into your relationship too. You're kind of like having this dual relationship with your partner essentially. So trying to do that as much as possible. And, you know, I'm a new parent, so I'm practicing this on my own. But I think the power of like delegation is so great because especially as like a woman and mom on my end, if it feels like, okay, so many women nowadays are also working. It's no longer the like 1950s and many are the breadwinner. So no longer that like, okay, you're going to take care of everything in the home and you're going to take care of everything at work. And there's oftentimes those roles are shifted and they're different. But what we know from a research standpoint is actually women are still expected to do all of these like doctor appointments, whatever, even though they're often the breadwinner or at least like working in some way. And so what we really have to pay attention to is what can we offload and delegate if that's not to your partner because your partner never wants to feel like you're delegating <laughs> to them? What can we offload and create that support around so that that resentment, that criticism, the contempt does not seep through into our relationship with our partner? Because if you keep that relationship sacred and secure, it's going to change your whole family dynamic. There's no uh, you know, type of activity that can make your kid as healthy as like if you guys have a healthy relationship. Absolutely. I think so many times it can get mixed up in a sense of like the kids are more important, but I'm in the same thread of thought. Like the relationship is so important between the yeah. parents and and not only that, but it's like coming at it as a team perspective and every good team talks about the plays. They come together and say, okay, that didn't work. Here's how we're going to handle it. And so just mm -hmm. having that ability to be the team, you know, mm -hmm. because totally. the children's plays are not planned. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So you got curveballs coming all the time. So true. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. I think it's Watch like tape back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I want to acknowledge couples as we come to a close here that might be listening to this episode with like desperation and hope to save their relationship. If they're on the brink of everything falling apart, do you have any practices that can help them begin to heal? Yeah. So if you're in that space right now, what I would say is obviously first kind of getting some support through therapy is a great place to just kind of talk through whatever you're going through and really understanding like, okay, what's the dynamic right now? What's our, um, the field of restoration therapy talks about this, like what's our pain cycle? Oftentimes when couples are on the brink, they're in this cycle of pain. You do one thing, your partner does one thing, it's a consistent cycle and it feels like you're kind of stuck. So how do we get to what we call like the peace cycle? What are the steps we need to do to kind of shift that dynamic? That's where it really can start with you. So if your partner doesn't want to go to couples therapy, you showing up and saying, okay, this is kind of what's happening. Like this is how I often have 
singles who are in this kind of desperate mode say, okay, talk me through like, what's a typical fight look like? And most often it's the same thing. It's a different, what I call content, but it's the same process. So something different happens on the surface, but you guys fall into the same pattern. And so the pattern is always two people. So what's a thing that I can do to change that dance? So we're in this like tango, we're all constantly fighting. Okay, I nag, I criticize, he fights back. You know, we're always in this thing. What's the move I can do to shift that dance? So going from a tango to like a foxtrot, like what can I do? And getting that support with the therapist to not fall back into the cycle that your partner's gonna try to pull you back in because that's what we're used to, right? So how can I kind of shift that? And practicing getting support with individually shifting that. So then they start eventually doing the different dance with you and being pulled into what we call like the peace cycle. What does it look like when we're doing well? When was that? When was the last time? What did that look like? When he said this, oh, I just kind of pulled back. I didn't fight back. Like So that that can be more of your norm and see if that has the potential to working moving forward. Obviously, your partner has to be in a place where they're willing to make those little shifts, but you can notice just the changes that you make that once you make that shift, it automatically shifts the dynamic. It takes two people to fight. If there's no one else to fight with, then they're just going to be, you know, on their own, like punching the air, right? Metaphorically, not physically, but <laughs> that's what you really want to pay attention to. Like, okay, what's the one shift I can do? And often it's, it takes time because they're going to be so used to, oh, you're going to say this and that. They're going to kind of character attack you probably because maybe you did in the past. But like you said, it's like you're constantly evolving every day. You can make that little shift that you'll notice over time is going to start moving the really big boat. Yeah. One thing that keeps coming to mind for me is I see so many things on social media that are talking about, you know, if someone treats you this way, then that's not okay. You know, that kind of um, thread. (laughs) And I think that there's, you know, both sides of the coin to consider. There's definitely a time when it really truly isn't okay. But I feel like so much of a relationship is really picking the battles and evolving with them. And as you've said so beautifully, you know, to just be the team. I think that's one of the main themes of this whole thing for me is like remembering we're on the same side here. We love each other, you know, and we want the same things. But in that context of being on the brink of falling apart, is there a time when it is right to let it fall apart? What would be some of those signs that you would, you know, talking to your clients that you guys would go through? Yeah. Great question. So what I would say is, obviously, every situation is different. So if you feel like, okay, I've been trying this or whatever, it's not working. Also getting that professional support and a therapist to kind of give you that feedback of like, okay, yeah, you've done what you can do and it's still not working. Then in those situations, I would say it's like if there's no flexibility, there's a lot of rigidity around them, there might be a deeper kind of characterological disorders that we call it going on with your partner that nothing you do can change that. And that might manifest in like more abusive types of behavior and like that pattern. So it's not just like one time you guys have a fight and they, you know, say some things that are, I mean, it's like consistently you're living in that sort of zone. Those are situations where it's like, yeah, you you really are not in a healthy partnership anymore and you're not even just kind of supporting them through a season. It's more just like, this isn't healthy. They're not able to get out of that pain cycle. I would probably recommend having a conversation then with your partner if it's safe to do so. Like if we don't go kind of that ultimatum, like if you don't come with me to like a couples therapist or whatever, then unfortunately, like this isn't healthy for us or our children or whatever any further 
So I always say to kind of have that professional support before you just kind of walk out. Obviously, again, if you're in more of an abusive dynamic or like you're actually physically afraid for your safety, you need to separate or get out of that situation. And obviously a therapist or calling one of the services can help with that. And then, you know, a lot of couples therapists still will do like uh, virtual therapy, but just not being in the same physical space. But you know, can't do couples therapy if there is that kind of like abuse involved. So the long answer is like, first, obviously, physical safety for you and your kids. Second is going to couples therapy to mediate, even if you feel like you're already out the door or they're one foot out the door. If you're sharing, like, even if you're not sharing kids or whatever, you do definitely want to have some of those things aired out. A lot of people will just kind of leave a relationship and be like, oh, I wish I, you know, had a conversation or got some clarity or closure or whatever. So I still will recommend having a therapist there to kind of mediate, especially if you feel like, okay, I'm consistently not being heard or whatever that is. So having that support is so, so important across the board. I always will recommend that to people, making sure that you're safe and being around a supportive community that can really help you. There's so many support groups out there. Um, if you know your relationship is working out, divorce, recovery, all of those things. And just hearing from other people's experiences can be so validating to you as well because it's mixed emotions. It will feel like, oh, I, w-, you know, you wish things were different. It will feel like it's a failure, but ultimately, knowing that you did everything that you could to make the relationship work is what's going to help you build that resilience in the future, too. Yeah, I agree with you so much. I think that you know, one common thing that we do really as a society is we go to other people for their opinions, and so especially like if our spouse isn't you know, fulfilling our needs or maybe there's some abuse going on. I think it's so easy to talk to like a friend or a family member if they're not possibly aware as we need the person to be. Like you said, a professional, of course, is trained and is going to see more of the whole picture. Whereas a lot of times talking to a friend, of course, they're going to be like, he should not treat you that way. You know, there's going to be that like (laughs) gossip and I feel like that can also be not a healthy way to handle the situation. Yeah. And in this topic of abuse, I just want to acknowledge also, because I feel like this one topic isn't talked about a lot in our society. It is, but not really as much as I feel that it deserves to be. And that's addiction. And so Mm. if one partner is sober and I feel like there's a whole, I'm not going to go into like if both are addicted, I feel like that's a whole (laughs) other conversation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But just kind of in a broad sense, just like bringing this into the topic, if one person is having an addiction and the other is, you know, sober and wanting to live that life, do you feel in a sense, I know that addiction really is a personal journey in and of itself, but also since there is a partnership, is that in a way abusive? Or how do you navigate that relationship? And when do you know that it's like time to move on or... I feel like that could be so tricky. Oh, yeah. It's such an individual situation. And I think that the number one thing that's always recommended is like that physical safety. So it's like even if you're not sure that you fully want to, like if you're married, divorce your partner, if they are struggling with an addiction, at least that physical separation might be necessary in order for you to feel safe. Your nervous system to be regulated. You can't really make any decisions from that state of like fight or flight if you're constantly afraid for you and your kids if the addiction kind of takes that realm. So that would be like the first thing I would say. The worldwide community of Al-Anon, the support that's for like spouses and partners of people struggling with addiction, it's really an amazing resource 
um, a place to start. And I know a huge component of that support and just hearing people's experiences. I have many clients that have found so much help from that is like that giving it some time. Obviously, if you're in that kind of like navigating that, giving it some time, they always say like, if you're thinking to make a huge change or whatever, that you want to give yourself at least like six months in the program. I just had a client go through this. And throughout that time in learning that detachment, she was able to make that decision and say, you know what, like this isn't the right relationship for me. Other times she said, many people said, oh, right away when they found out or saw that their partner was struggling, that they're like, okay, I'm done. But then six months later, they actually had a different approach to it or their partner became sober or whatever. So I think giving it some time, but in a place that you feel safe with support to process and see is really important. And I worked in uh, treatment, mostly like eating disorder treatment, but treatment for quite a bit of time. And I think the big like kind of question or understanding around it is really that addiction is a disease like any other type of disease. So it's like if they have cancer or whatever, the repercussions are obviously different and it has different relational issues. So it's really about understanding like what's best for me and my family right now and understanding, okay, my my partner has an illness and how can I get that support from people whose partners have the same type of illness to understand what's the best move for me? What's the best thing for somebody else might not have been the best thing for you and vice versa. There's people who stay in those relationships and make it work, like are able to create the life that they desire. And then there's people that are just like, that doesn't work for me. And, you know, maybe help their partner get help through other resources or don't. And that is a really hard thing to experience. And the addiction, I mean, the opioid crisis in our country and so many other addiction problems are just massive. So, so many people are struggling in silence. So that's where I really recommend kind of getting the support from people who get it, who are in those experiences, and then giving yourself that safety to really understand what's the best decision for me and my family right now. Yeah, that really echoes, I think, throughout our conversation is just that solidness and wholeness of self, awareness, knowing yourself. You know, I think that in order to move through a situation like that, it takes a lot of self-care and Mm self-love and just willingness to know that you're loved, even though your partner may be going through this, you know? Mm-hmm, so I just totally. wanted to create space to acknowledge that because I I know that that's also something not talked about, I think, as much, at least in my own awareness. And so I don't want to end on a low note. <laughs> I want to raise the bar here as one of our, our last things here. You've given us so much gold and I'm so appreciative of your time here. So thank you so much. My last question is, what is the best advice that you would give couples seeking to go deeper? What would be some actionable wisdom that you have to give? Yeah, I would say really creating that space to be able to express your love language and learn your partners. Learning the language of your partner then becomes so empowering for you because you're like, wow, I know how to connect with them and show them the love and also tell them how I receive that love as well. So I think that's the best place that you can start. And from that place, going on that journey of self-discovery on your own, really understanding your attachment, understanding who you are, why you're wired however you are, and then working from that place can really create a beautiful relationship for you and your partner. Absolutely. And so if any of our listeners are like, okay, I'm sold. I need Christy in my life. (laughs) This wonderful woman. How can our listeners follow and connect with you further? 
Yeah. So you can check out our website, therapyfordating.com. And on there, I basically have all of our resources. So we offer group programs and individual work for singles and individual work for couples, people in relationships, wanting to work on their relationships. And we also have a really cool package kind of in terms of what we were talking about, which is called like a clarity coaching. So it's about like, maybe you're in a relationship, you're not sure if you want to take the next step into marriage, or maybe you're in a partnership, but you're not sure if you want to break up. So that clarity, sometimes it's really valuable when you're in relationships. So we work with people in that way as well. But you can find all that info on our website. And then you can connect with me. The place I hang out the most right now is Instagram. So the day Dr. Christie, you can DM me there. Amazing. Well, I am certainly following along with you and cheering you on. And again, so thankful that you have followed your heart and your purpose to help so many people find love and deepen their love. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. Here we are again at the conclusion of another episode. I'm sending you a virtual hug, and I want you to know I am so proud of you for staying committed to your dreams. It's all possible, and it begins with you. If you'd like to discover more support, visit marissamorrison.net, where I have created opportunities for you to connect, expand, and to evolve into your greatest potential. Until next time, friend, I'm thinking of you and sending you all my love.